From the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne, this is The Yarn. I'm Thomas Phillips. This week, we're looking at how public-facing jobs pivoted online during the pandemic. As concert halls cleared out and people cancelled their holidays, COVID dried up revenue streams for most leisure industries. In today's episode, our journalists investigate how three workers got creative in their efforts to move their jobs from the stage and streets to their bedrooms. This is Generation COVID, part two. First up, Hanyang Cheng on a former tour guide's new career as a live streamer. Outbound travel has been halted during the COVID-19 in China, but some international tour guides' income has unexpectedly now decreased. I'm Chen Yang Han, and today I'm talking with Lin Yingdai, formerly an international tour guide for a Chinese travel agency. Lin Ying, can you tell me what's the biggest impact of the COVID-19 on your work? Well, first of all, many people are reluctant to travel abroad because of the strict control of people live in China and the current return control measures. You know, the travel agency I worked for also stopped selling outbound itineraries um, because the income in the travel agency plumbed only to get a basic salary. So I was completely have no work to do at a time, you know. And this made me very, very anxious. I just resigned from my travel agency and moved to the particularly popular live band industry. And now my current job is meaning a life anchor. Wow, I guess that's a big change in your career. Have you encountered any challenges? Because I had no previous contact with the industry of live streaming, I had very few fans when I started live streaming. So my income was very small, but I just preserved. Because I used to to be an international tour guide, and you know I have to have some chats to have uh, some communication with people, and my English is also very good. My live broadcaster sometimes introduce the local customs of each country, and sometimes teach the audience some English for travel abroad. Many people are interested in this and have become my fans, and my fans are getting more and more. Therefore, the number of merchants who invite me to sell goods online is also quite many. My income will be able to reach the income of the tour guide, and sometimes even more. So, if the epidemic is not so serious that people can travel abroad in China, will you continue to stay in the live streaming industry, or you will continue to work as an international tour guide? What do you think about this thing? If the epidemic is not so serious in the future. And there will be some changes in China's self-isolation policy. Maybe my idea will be to combine the two careers.、Um, when leading tour abroad, I can use my usual free time to work as a live surrogate. In this way, I can do my job well and at the same time open up 
a side business to increase my income. Reporting via by Han Yang Chen. Next up, Christopher Harley on how the head of a Melbourne music school prepared his students for an unpredictable start to their careers. When the 2020 lockdowns in Victoria came into force, the performing arts industry shut down completely. Theatres were closed, and even rehearsal studios were left empty of its actors and musicians. But schools and universities stayed open. For tertiary performing arts students, this meant a huge gap in the degrees they'd spent months auditioning for. Tyron Park was the newly appointed head of music theatre at the Victorian College of the Arts. He talked with me about the day he first heard about the lockdown and how he guided his staff as his students prepared to enter the industry. I remember riding home and I remember kind of taking stuff and thinking that I was going home for a couple of weeks and there was a sense of almost excitement about how we were going to get through in a way. And of all things, you would think performing arts inherently needs to be in a room together. But I had worked out a way that we were just going to transition straight online and it was going to work. So I was sort of excited in a weird way. What elements of your role as head of music theatre changed as a result of the pandemic? Look, I I think the way it affected my work is a little different to how it affected the industry because obviously the industry just stopped But at the university, there was no stopping. You got up each day and had to work out how to continue to teach 60 people singing, acting and dancing from their living rooms with various relationships to technology and Zoom and and also sharing apartments and just, just space that you need to study this because you literally get injured if you try and dance in your kitchen. There were a lot of tensions around how to create a space where you could do the thing that is required in order to become a performer. Were there new responsibilities you weren't expecting? I kind of went into this kind of robust thing of like, I can't go down because I've got 60 people and five staff members who who need me to lead the way. And I feel like I had to step into that. Is that hard to do when you're not in the same space as people you're telling stories with? It's different. It's much harder in many ways. I think what we learned was that where we didn't do well was initially when I was like, this is not going down on my watch, and I tried to emulate the the in-the-room class on Zoom. When we all tried to do that, we just were left with a feeling of, It's just like a less good version of what we really want to do. And then over the course of the two years, we just started to change what we taught and how we taught it and made it Zoom friendly and and shifted it. And it was much more playful and interesting. And suddenly people were doing Shakespeare in the toilet and Shakespeare, you know, under stairwells and things. That became like sort of unbearably beautiful. Are you proud of what you achieved during the last two years? The thing I'm proudest of is like the year that just graduated, so they did more than half their training on Zoom. More of them are in professional work than any other year we've had. That was my thing of like, oh, thank God I I did it. Because the other thing is many of them could have left. You could go, this is not what I signed up for. Like I'm out of here. And they didn't. And so then I felt like it was my responsibility to deliver them the thing that they came in for even though the world was falling down around us. So the fact that they are so industry ready, that's amazing to me. Reporting on that story by Christopher Harley. In our next story, 
Jade Murray investigates how a slam poet recreates the magic of a live performance while recording herself at home. In the December of 2020, award-winning poet and spoken word performer Emily Zoe Baker was named a Poet Laureate of Melbourne for her poem called Pay Attention. She wrote, I wake up covered in dream post-it notes, the urgency of action in an actionless day, the news stapled into my stomach. Emily has performed her poetry globally, but had to swap the stage for virtual performance amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Emily, you've shared your poetry all around the world in places like Asia, North America, Europe. What was one of your most favourite performances? I I really loved winning the Berlin International Poetry Slam. No big deal. <laughs> that was probably my congratulations. Yeah, it was it was awesome. I got to go to Berlin, and it was a slam that had contestants from all over the world. And um, it was a clapometer thing, so the winner was measured in decibels, and uh, and it was very fun and very interactive. What makes sharing your poetry with a live audience so special? It's the immediate feedback that you get. There might be moments that you didn't even know were funny that are suddenly funny. It's encouraged that you click and add vocal enhancements to <laughs> to the yeah. performance. How did lockdowns change the way you created and shared your poetry? I taught myself how to edit. I taught myself the software. I was like, okay, well, you know, if if I can't go on stage, I will change the way I'm going to do everything. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make videos. And all my peers were doing the same thing. I, I wasn't really into the live Zoom performance thing. Um, it just didn't feel fun to me. Have you done many in-person events recently? I know we touched on this, but do you feel like things are getting back to normal? Marie Cardi and I started an event called Better Offset. And so this event is about not holding your tongue. And we're, you know, we're slowly starting, but it has been so far just such an incredible opening experience. And we want to tour the show as well. So we're really hoping that, that we can do that. What used to really drive me and what I really loved and lived for was touring. Like that was the best. It would give so much energy to my work and I would feel so inspired on the road. And having to swap that out for being here and trying to find my inspiration in what is around me has definitely been like a weird shift and not an easy one. I think now I have to make a decision. Like, what am I going to do? How am I going to do it? I'm not going on tour anymore. Like I'm sort of trying to find what the next step is and whether that's just as a host or whether, you know, it's going to be as a slam poet anymore. Need to become a psychic or get one. Thank you so much for speaking with me, Emily. My pleasure. That story was reported by Jade Murray. In 2019, more than 2 million fans bought tickets to the most successful BTS tour ever. Then the pandemic struck. But it wasn't just the boy band who took a hiatus from work. Next up, 
Jia Xinjiang on how the pandemic left a professional BTS fan blogger with no content this year. Chi Wang Jasmine is a 23-year-old influential K-pop fansite blogger. She has two K-pop fansite social media accounts on Twitter and Weibo with more than 300,000 followers. I am Zhi Xinjiang. Today we are going to talk to Jasmine. Hi Jasmine, during the pandemic, most K-pop artists and celebrity activity were cancelled, and many countries have very strict travel ban, which make it difficult for you to work abroad to collect update material and information for your fansite. How does this affect your fansite blogger career? Before the pandemic, I normally flew to South Korea at least once a month, basically, because my fan size is all about BTS. So I need to go to lots of the events, such as the concerts, fan meeting, music awards, ceremony events. So my main job was to collect information and take photos of BTS and update this material to my fan site for my followers. And you know, for one event, sometimes I can take more than 1,000 photos. And I usually only need probably around 20 of them. And for the rest of it, I would just sell them to other fan site blogger and get some profit from it. Basically, this is the main income source for my website. But since 2020, the pandemic began, I actually haven't been able to go to any of BTS events. So I didn't get any income by selling pictures for quite a long time. I knew that many K-pop fans are broker often organize different forms of events to support their idols. And you have also done lots of this support activity for BTS. What kind of support event you organized for BTS before the pandemic? Are you still doing this event? We organize for events such as giveaway events, online advertisements to celebrate BTS member birthday and support them. Oh, we also have to get BTS on Subway digital billboard in different cities. This is what we've done before pandemic. But am I still doing support events to BTS? Um, no, not really, actually. In fact, lots of fansite bloggers, they choose to shut down their fansite during the pandemic as well, because a lot of reasons I'm, I'm planning to do it as well. So what make you want to shut down your fansite? I guess for most of fansite bloggers, they find it is almost impossible to get their idols, new photos and the material to update to their fansite. So after a period, they just want to close the fansite. And for myself, I think a lot during the pandemic, like running a fansite means that um, I have to fly around the world with BTS and follow their schedule because um, it becomes my responsibility to keep updating for my followers. And uh, I can't sacrifice my real life, even normal social life for doing that. Actually, during the pandemic, I realized I have more time to focus on myself and have a healthier lifestyle. So I will say pandemic made me reconsider my career choice. And now I realized that being a fansite blogger and chasing a celebrity is nothing compared to having a stable job, friends and normal life. During the pandemic, there were many fansite bloggers donate resources such as the N95 mask and money to the hospital in the name of their idol. And you have also done the same. Why? So what made you choose to do this? To be honest, all the charity actions we do is just to promote our fan site. Because you know, we definitely will make announcements for what we've done for, on Twitter or Weibo. Like, oh, we have donated money to help which country, so we will get a higher chance to get the notice by the fans from that country. Then our photo and the fan site will get more fame in that country as well. It is all business, to be honest. If your fan site name is famous in the fans community, then you can get more commercial benefits from fans. That's it, simple. Reporting on that story by Jershin Chang. You have been listening to part two of Generation COVID. See you next week. A massive thank you to our journalists, Hanyang Cheng, Jade Murray, Christopher Harley, and Jiu Xinjiang. Our executive producer is Louisa Lim. 
The yarn is produced at the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne. I'm Thomas Phillips.